Do you love maple syrup? Ever thought of making your own? Blaine's Farm and Fleet makes it easy with just a few key items. Stop in today for some friendly advice and all the supplies you need to tap and gather your sap. Welcome to Fishers and Farmers, Neighbor to Neighbor, Farmer-Led Solutions for Soil and Streams. I'm Pam Yaki. This is a series of conversations about shared work and farmer-driven solutions for soil and streams. On this program, we're focused in on the Tainter Creek Farmer-Led Watershed Council. Now, Tainter Creek is a tributary of the Kickapoo River, located in the northeast corner of Crawford County in southwest Wisconsin. Now, this watershed is extensively agriculture in a county where recreation land ownership is heavy. A lot of the streams have DNR fishing easements and eroding stream banks are common. Our guests today include Derek Petersheim, one of the farmers that's working with his land to keep soil in place and improve water quality. Also joining us, Danny Heisler-Woodhill, who is a coordinator for a lot of the projects that are going on in the Tainter Creek Farmer-Led Watershed Council and working on getting more involvement every day. Fishers and Farmers, Neighbor to Neighbor, brought to you in part by Saddle Butte Ag, a family-owned and operated company dedicated to providing farmers and landowners with forage and cover crop seed of the highest quality. So let's get started. How do you get farmers and landowners involved with something like the Tainer Creek Farmer-Led Watershed Council? Danny Heisler-Woodhill can tell you all about it. She grew up on a farm near Eau Claire and came from a long line of people that were invested in dairy, Central Sands root crops, and a four-generation mint farming operation. She's got a degree in animal science, agronomy, and food science, and has worked across conventional, organic, large, and small-scale farming operations of all types. She's now the Regenerative Agriculture Outreach Coordinator at Valley Stewardship Network and says that not everyone that's got a passion for farming has had the opportunity to do it. She said she considers the opportunity to support people who are producing food as her farming fix. Danny, thanks for joining us. Tell me a little bit more about what's going on with the Tainer Creek Farmer-Led Watershed Council. Really one of the things that I've learned is how um, how willing um, a lot of the neighbors and a lot of the farmer folks in, in the watershed are to experiment with different practices and share the practices. And I think that's um, one of the things that's really kind of set our watershed apart from some of the others that are, you know, just trying to get established or folks that are trying to, you know, understand what makes this watershed a little different is there's um, everybody comes to the meetings and comes to the pasture walks and, and you know, just has a, a lot of respect and interest in learning from each other. And it's a really, um, it's a really cool group dynamic. You know, speaking of group dynamic, you've got a lot of landowners in uh, the Tainter Creek watershed that uh, might be more invested in their recreational value on their land than they are maybe the agricultural productivity of their land because uh, fishing recreation is an important part of that community. Have you seen those folks engage in the conversation? Are they learning as well as our farmer growers? Yeah, some. In some of the larger um, group events that we've hosted within the Tainer Creek um, Farmer-Led Watershed Council, we've seen a variety of participation, you know, from, you know, those who are actively farming the land to some of the folks that live in some of these, you know, rural communities. And, you know, that also expands into like some of our absentee landowners or recreational landowners. Um, but, 
you know, so that's kind of what some of those larger events have been geared towards is really being all encompassing and inclusive to um, the community. Generally, you know, in our, our kind of our regular meetings and our pasture walks, that's really content specific and focused on, you know, some of the farming practices and management. So we don't see as much engagement um, from the wider, wider audience at that point. But I hope people understand why it is so critical that uh, these conservation measures be put in place to protect that quality of life, that recreation uh, viability in, in southwest Wisconsin, western Wisconsin. Yeah, the Tanger Creek is a class one trout stream. So I think that's a huge driver, you know, economically in our area, um, you know, when we have that kind of tourism and, you know, that kind of attention put on, you know, our water source. Um, and then, you know, it just starts to kind of trickle down and really becomes a, um, a process that engages everybody in the community in terms of, you know, those folks that are managing the land and what can we do to, you know, reduce erosion and phosphorus and sediment runoff and manage our soil and water quality and um, increase our soil fertility. So, you know, those who are, you know, producing on the land have the opportunity to, you know, maintain and ideally increase profitability um, while, you know, those who are, are here for, you know, more recreational purposes or, you know, of course, everybody wants to see and, you know, experience good, clean, healthy water. So it's really a community project. You're listening to Danny Heisler Woodall. She is really uh, involved in regenerative agriculture as our outreach coordinator at Valley Stewardship Network. She herself is a member of the Tainter Creek Watershed. Let's talk about regenerative agriculture for just a minute, Danny, because it's a phrase that I think everybody has a little different perspective as far as definition. What are you specifically working on and trying to educate the general public about when it comes to regenerative agriculture? It is a, it's kind of one of those buzzwords right now, right? And so everybody does kind of interpret it a little bit differently or question what does this mean? I think, you know, kind of specifically to our group, you know, some of the regenerative ag practices that we talk a lot about, focus on and, and try and share with each other, you know, implementing cover crops and interseeding, you know, whether that means kind of looking at different series of summer annuals into fall annuals or, you know, potentially some some 60-inch corn with, you know, annuals interseeded. Um, we're also implementing some of the native plantings, um, like similar to like Iowa's prairie strip um, type work. And then, you know, really kind of looking at converting some of the poor quality, um, poor output row crop ground and looking at converting that to pasture ground. Um, and then enhancing current grazing practices. You know, I'm, you know, a lot of my background is in cattle, and I love grazing. I love, you know, love seeing the cattle out in pastures. And so um, that really trickles through and, and kind of um, fuels a lot of the work that I do and, um, you know, kind of encourages a lot of the work that we do across the watershed. You know, the other thing that I want uh, people to realize is it's not like there's a big carrot out there as far as some kind of financial uh, stipend or a grant or anything like that. Aren't you finding that really passion is one of the biggest motivators for these uh, farmer-led watersheds? Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> it's, that's definitely, um, you know, we've been fortunate in securing some, you know, independent grants to help fund some very specific projects. But generally speaking, you know, f to encourage some of these some of these considerations and maybe make some practice changes, 
it really does come down to just what motivates those individual farmers, right? And whether that's, you know, trying to look a little, take a deeper look at, you know, enhancing farm profitability or how do we transition to the next gen or, you know, of course, like the, the, you know, basis of it all, which is, you know, really managing for clean, healthy water, which we all need and our crops and our livestock need. You know, you mentioned demographics a little bit there, Danny, and I'm looking at some of the pictures at fishersandfarmers.org and talk about demographics. You really do have uh, quite the diverse group when it comes to makeup of the Tainer Creek watershed. Tell me a little bit about your observations when it comes to the ages, the types of farms that are involved in these conversations. That's something I think that you know, I take, you know, some of the most pride in about our group, and I think many of the folks that attend do also, is that, you know, we have folks that are in the watershed that are just trying to find their place in egg. You know, what do they want to produce? How are they going to get there? Is it even possible, you know, to look at some of these different farming practices, you know, and then ranging all the way to folks that have, you know, three generations that have attended our meetings together. That stuff's super cool. You know, when you have, you know, that amount of people with that variety of interest and knowledge in the same place and everybody feels comfortable that they have a place at the table, they want to talk, they want to ask questions. And, you know, everybody, you know, it's really neat. After a few of the meetings I've had, um, Folks that have been, you know, maybe that was their first time attending, you know, call me, text me, say afterwards and say, gosh, this, I, I didn't feel like anybody was really trying to dominate the conversation. I didn't feel like anybody is trying to stand out as the expert. And I was really comfortable here. Like, this is my place. I'm like, cool. <laughs> if we can make your place, if this is this, if it's that inclusive, we're doing good work. Good work indeed. That's Danny Heisler Woodhill. She is the Regenerative Agriculture Outreach Coordinator at Valley Stewardship Network, which encompasses the Tainer Creek Farmer Led Watershed Council. That watershed has about 30 members representing over 4,000 acres or a little over 12% of land in Tainer Creek Watershed. And their goal is to improve soil and Tainter Creek, specifically understanding water quality in the area and finding ways to actively improve it, plus understanding public perceptions of farmers and finding ways to build connection in the community. And they also would like to reduce flooding. We'll talk more with one of the farmers in that Tainter Creek Farmer-Led Watershed Council in just a moment. Fishers and Farmers, Neighbor to Neighbor, brought to you in part by Saddle Butte Ag, providing their customers with the highest quality forage and cover crop seeds. And joining us now, T.J. Cardis. He is with Saddle Butte Ag right there in the state of Minnesota. Hey, T.J., tell me a little bit about Saddle Butte. So in 2012, I went to a meeting on cover crops. It was put on actually in your beautiful state there, Pamela, Wisconsin. And the gentleman was working with Legacy Seeds, and he really explained conservation. We'd always been doing conservation on our farm here in Minnesota anyways, but he really explained the cover crop portion of it and how all that played together. And I went to work, and I worked with them for a little bit, and then I wanted to reach out to people that were in the Lammoth Valley. It really had had a long, deep history of being the major part of this cover crop industry. And I got to meet Ron Eltoff down at the farm show in Des Moines, Iowa, and he linked me up with his company, Saddlebute Ag, that was formed in 2000. And the Worth family that owns Saddlebute Ag have been in the Willamette Valley in Oregon since their 
since before it was a state. So Deep History Family uh, Run Company, something I wanted to be a part of. I like to be a part of a family enterprise that you can work as an independent, but you got this whole core of a solid group behind you that have done it for a long time. And that's how I came with Saddlebutte Ag back six years ago. I've been a representative for them for five states I cover. I cover Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, the Dakotas, and a little bit of Nebraska. Um, as a company, we have three counter, I have two counterparts, three counterparts to the east to handle everything to the east of the U.S. So we're a, we're a large company, but we're small in, in capacity of people, so we keep our prices and everything under control for the grower at the end of the day. Well, let's talk a little bit about trends that you've witnessed in your time with Saddle Butte, TJ. Uh, you know, him and I were talking off, off the air, folks, that uh, cover crops has become a real big buzzword, but you've got a really interesting take on things, especially in light of the pandemic and staying connected and keeping those messages, those stories going, TJ. Yeah, so that's a great part about this fishery and farmer network and working with Pam with you on this is we're we're getting shut down. We you know basically we can't go anywhere and see anybody. Nobody wants us on their place and everybody's scared. So the great part of podcasts or, or broadcasts is we get to still get out in front of the front line people we need to be in the ag world. We are very very connected in the ag world to each other and podcasts and stuff like this are a great way, a great way to connect us. And then we can come out and do small group sessions where you're on your farm with maybe one or two of your neighbors and we can social distance and everybody can stay real safe, but we still get that message out. You know, and and the the buzzword part of it, Pam, that's the part I really kind of struggle with a little bit because I love that it's become a buzzword, but a buzzword means everybody's in the business trying to sell this stuff to you. And that scares me because there's a lot of stuff being promoted and pushed and there's not a lot of science or backing behind some of these guys. They're just kind of out there pushing it and selling it, and in a couple years they might not be there. We're going to be there long-term for you. So our first avenue at Saddle Butte is education. We educate you about where it comes from, why you want to pick these species, where you want to start, and where you want to get to. Because the starting point is pretty simple. When you get up to these 10, 12, 14 way species, it's a little more complicated, but that's where we all want to be to mimic Mother Nature because that's what she had out here. But you got to start somewhere and go there. You don't just go there to begin with. You have a very interesting perspective also on this interest in cover crops. It is about water quality and soil preservation, but you think it's even bigger than that, uh, playing directly into the hands of climate change. And that is a really big picture focus for our farmers. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're a huge sink out here for the world. And if we change some of our practices, very small changes, nothing major, nothing off the charts, Get to more reduced tillage, strip till, no till, cover crops is a big part of it. We start putting that carbon in the soil. There's some money behind that that we pay to do all that. It's going to benefit us. It's going to keep our soil where it belongs. It's going to keep our nitrogen where it belongs. It's going to keep the water cleaner, and it's going to help with the climate change aspect of it. And I tell you one thing, I'd rather be on the front line changing people now than let somebody come out and tell me how to do it. Because once the government gets involved, and they're involved right now with programs, which is great. But once they get involved and regulate us and put rules in place, man, then it's a real confrontational situation when I come to sell you cover crops. Now I'm that rotten guy that had to sell you this that I have to do. Let's just work together beginning, and we don't have to have that confrontation part of it. Now, it might be confrontational anyways because you might think I'm trying to do something that you don't want to do, but we're going to get you to a great level of confidence of the products, planting, termination, 
everything involved, why you're picking these species, how to pick species, how to put a mix together. We're going to help you all that. And as long as we're doing it and we're showing the government and the industry and the world we're doing it, then we don't have to be regulated because we really don't run regulation, guys, if we can help it. Absolutely. T.J. Cardis along with us with Saddle Butte Ag. Again, they are in part sponsors of the Fishers and Farmers Neighbor to Neighbor program that you're listening to now. How can people find out more about Saddle Butte, T.J., or maybe even get connected with you? So one easy way is we've got a beautiful website. It's called the BioTill website. So that's our cover crop lineup is our BioTill lineup. Our forage lineup is 4360. You can Google either one of them. So it'll bring you to the website. The BioTill one is the easier one to go to. Click on our website. You can find all of us reps, or otherwise you can give me a call at 507-339-1742. I always pick up the phone. I always say the reason we did the Forage 360 lineup, I usually take off the week between Christmas and New Year's, but I usually still have my phone with me. So I never leave a grower hanging. If you need to talk to me, I'm always willing to talk. Go on the website if you're up, if you're in Illinois or southern Wisconsin or to the east, and you can find our reps that work out of that those areas. You can find their you can find their emails. You can find their phone numbers. All right, thank you, TJ. TJ Cardis with Saddle Butte Ag, one of our partners here on the Fishers and Farmers Neighbor to Neighbor program, providing you with top quality forage and cover crop seeds at Saddle Butte. Com. And let's continue with our final guest today, Derek Petersheim. He is a farmer that's involved in the Tanner Creek Farmer-Led Watershed Council and focused in on land and water conservation. And he comes by it naturally. His parents, Ralph and Sheila Petersheim, were named 2015's Wisconsin Conservation Farm of the Year. And Derek continues that dedication to land and water conservation today. Derek, tell us a little bit about your farming operation. Okay, so... Pam, we are, um, uh, my wife and I, we have a small beef herd. Um, we, we raise some organic crops, about 120 acres of organic uh, crops, and then we also have uh, about 580 acres of conventionally managed crops as well. So when I say crops, it's uh, corn, soybeans, hay, and small grains. Um, small grains like oats, wheat, and rye. We were talking a little bit uh, before this conversation on if people haven't driven through the Viroqua area uh, recently or ever, they they might not really have a good handle on how challenging that terrain can be for any type of agriculture. Explain the kind of land you're working with, Derek. Well, so we have some slopes. We have hills. Um, you know, it's uh, the they call it the driftless region. Um, it's, you know, there's... There's some bluffs, and um, yeah, we have we have some slopes to work with, so it's not the flat flat fields by any means. Give me a sense of perspective. When you started managing your acres, both conventional and organic, what were some of the challenges that you immediately uh, recognized and wanted to try to address? Okay, so as far as you know, the concerns on the land on the landscape, um, you know, erosion was was a big one. Um, you know, the the last couple of years we've had some crazy crazy weather events, and you know, yeah, they're just trying to minimize erosion, I guess. Um, because of that, that has I mean, to trying a lot of cover crops and just um, keeping something growing on the landscape, mainly after soybeans. That's when the after after a crop of soybeans, it, the soil is just a little loose and. Um, trying to get something green established there just to help help hold the soil and um, catch catch water and build 
build soil structure as well so the the water actually goes down into the soil structure as opposed to running off. So since you've put those cover crops in place, Derek, what have you noticed? Um, so I guess one of the biggest things I've noticed is um, some of the farms that I've been growing cover crops on, even and this is even previous to the watershed group, but um, I'm noticing uh, the soil the soil gets softer um, and your water infiltration goes up because of it. I haven't actually measured it, but it, I've noticed less um, less runoff or erosion um, because the water is actually going in as opposed to off. Why do you stay focused on these kinds of practices, Derek? I mean, as I said, farmers got a lot of things going on, especially if you've got livestock, and I know you've got young kids too. Why do you keep a focus on conservation-minded practices like this? Well, Pam, to to be very honest, you know, I believe that, uh, my personal belief, I believe that, that we have to stand before God someday and give an account for what we've done, and uh, that includes what we've done with the land and um, how we've taken care of it and managed it. Mm-hmm. So, Do you find that your neighbors are more inquisitive about getting involved in the conversation? You know, by the sheer definition, watershed needs to involve a lot of different landowners, a lot of different types of soils. Have you seen the conversations pick up momentum with your neighbors? Yeah, yeah, you know, so when you get together with a group and you actually get to see um what's going on, it's it's kind of exciting and um you know that 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 builds I want to incorporate cattle on the landscape. So that's going to involve um obviously fencing and uh water. But I think to get a little more benefit out of out of your cover crop and also be able to to make some different cover crops a little more cost effective. Um by grazing, by grazing them. Mm-hmm. So what is 2021 looking like then, Derek? What's some of the goals that you've got? Um, well, I guess, so, you know, taking another step in um, being able to grow a little little more diverse cover crops, um, the small grains give you a little more of a, of a, a window, some more growing degree days to get a cover crop established. And so I, I got some, uh, triticale that I planted after soybeans. We planted a short maturing soybean. We planted a, I think it was a 1.6 maturity soybean and um, were able to harvest it fairly early this fall and then drilled in some triticale and planning to harvest that triticale for, for grain. And then uh, I'd like to get a, a cover crop mix. I don't have the exact mix planned out yet. I but I've I've got some ideas for how I'd like to how I'd like to uh retrofit my planter to to put the cover crops out. Kind of excited about that. So that's like you said, that's where having those mentors, those other folks that are in the Tainter Creek watershed kinda collaborate with you. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh and and you know, the the watershed group has their they invested in a um, an air seeder, and I'm not sure what application, you know, how they're going to set it up, like what kind of toolbar they're going to set it up on. But they invested in an air seeder to uh, try and help get some cover crops established. If you could talk to neighbors that uh, you haven't seen at any of these events or folks that are adjacent to watersheds, maybe they've heard a, a rumor about meetings or something like that, 
What would you tell them or encourage them as far as involvement? Oh, that it's worth the time. I mean, it does take time. Um, you know, it's, everybody has a busy schedule, but um, it is really educational. They, you know, and meeting on the farm, I really like the hands-on aspect, and I think a lot of farmers are are that way. They um, like to be out and and actually see what's going on. So it 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 really has given. I would really encourage them that you know it uh, it's great to to go out there on other people's other people's farms in this area and get to see what's uh, what's going on and what they're doing and what they're trying. And that really is what it's all about with these farmer-led watershed efforts. Farmers using other farmers as their resources. That's Derek Petersheim, a member of the Tainter Creek Farmer-Led Watershed Council. He's farming in Viroqua. Remember, the Tainter Creek Farmer-Led Watershed Council right now encompasses about 30 members representing over 4,000 acres or about 12.5% of the land in the Tainter Creek watershed. And that will do it for this edition of Fishers and Farmers Neighbor to Neighbor, a partnership for the Upper Mississippi River Basin. You can find out more and listen to these conversations anytime online at fishersandfarmers.org or midwestfarmreport.com. Until next time, that is Fishers and Farmers Neighbor to Neighbor, brought to you in part by Saddle Butte Ag.